we take about three weeks every year and we do a sermon series that's just a little bit different. And so if you're here today for the first time, this is not what we look like every week. Uh, but we take a series um, usually end of January into the beginning of February, and we just call it You Asked For It. And so we all have those questions about Scripture, about life, about those things that we wish uh, we could talk about or dig in and see what Scripture says. And so we just try and answer those. So you probably saw the standout in the lobby where we just have people writing post-it notes, any question they have, and then we just try and give a four to six minute biblically based answer. So I really try hard not to answer anything with opinion, but rather this is what Scripture says. Uh, and there's a lot of questions that four to six minutes doesn't even begin to give it justice. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I feel like we scratched the surface on that, but just barely, uh, come talk to me, talk to Colin afterwards. We'd love to either give you a cup of coffee, buy a cup of coffee, and just dig in a little bit more. So we always ask a question. And we ask three things about each question. Uh, the first thing we ask is, is this a salvation issue? Because we better make sure we get salvation issue level stuff right. I mean, if it's not a salvation issue, then we can disagree and, and that's okay. But if it's something Scripture is clear about and is salvation issue, uh, then we better make sure we're right on that. Second thing is we asked, does the Bible clearly address this? Because there's a lot of things that Scripture clearly addresses, but then there's some things that Scripture is a little more ambiguous about. And if we're going to hold firmly to a position, it better be one that Scripture is clear about. The third thing we ask is, does this affect the way I live my life? And if it doesn't affect the way I live my life, then maybe it's a really fun doctrinal or maybe not fun doctrinal debate we can have. But if it doesn't affect the way I live my life, uh, man, let's not, let's not get in an argument about that. So with that, let's jump into the first question, and we're going to answer this with the kids here, uh, because this was a question written down by a kid, but man, I thought it was one of the better questions, maybe one of the most important questions that we will ever answer, and that's this. How do I know if God is talking to me? Do I have to be a certain age? All right, so this is a really good question. Let's answer those three questions about this. Is this a salvation issue? Uh, yes, it is, because uh, like God communicates to us in a couple of different ways, uh, but He communicates to us how salvation can be ours. So we better get that. Uh, is Scripture clear? Scripture is very clear, and this also affects the way I live my life. So really, there's three ways uh, that God talks to us. The first one is through this, through the Bible. So this is what we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so Scripture is given to us. Scripture is God's revealed truth. So Scripture is 66 books written over about 1,500 years. Uh, there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Reveals to us God and tells us the story of, of creation and the story of a God who wants all of creation to come to Him. So, Scripture is one way God talks to us. Another way God talks to us is through the Holy Spirit. And we hear that sometimes through prayer. Sometimes we'll describe it as like our conscience. You know, we've all had that where we're doing something and we just feel like that, that twinge that lets us know something's going on. Um, that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit communicates to us. This is the way Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 16. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. And then verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's interesting that when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he actually says it's a good thing that Jesus is leaving because the Holy Spirit is so valuable to us. And then the third way, so Scripture, the Holy Spirit, the third way God communicates to us is through other believers. Um, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Acts 8.31 later, but I'm just, let me read these couple verses from Hebrews. This is Hebrews 10.23-25. The writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The other way God talks to us is through each other. Uh, Galatians 6, another passage where it says, you know, correct each other gently. So there's three primary ways that God talks to us. One, through His Word. Two, through the Holy Spirit. And three, through other believers. And those three will not contradict each other if they're godly. So, like, for example, if you feel like God is calling you to do something that directly uh, goes against Scripture, that's not God calling you to do that. You know, one example I can think of is uh, I had a friend uh, who just told me that God was calling them uh, to enter into this sexual relationship uh, that was not marriage. Uh, but God really wanted them to be happy, and God wanted them to do that. All right, that's not godly. That's not the Holy Spirit telling them to do that. And so those three will not contradict each other. So if you're like, man, I feel like God's telling me to do this, and I know that the Bible says we don't do that, but God, I really feel like He's telling me to do that, uh, that's not God. And, uh, and if ever Scripture says this, and we find ourselves crossways, we don't try and make Scripture turn to meet our expectations. We turn to meet Scripture's expectations. And then one of the reasons that we meet with other believers and spend time with other Christians is sometimes we just get a little off kilter. And if you have an idea that you think is God telling you to do something, but all the godly people you know are telling you you're wrong, then maybe you ought to listen to them. Uh, because when we have really godly people in our lives, we better listen to them and pay attention to what they say. And that's part of the reason that church and just getting together with believers is such a big deal. Because every once in a while, I don't care who we are, everyone in this room, sometimes we get just a little bit screwy, and, and we start thinking that this is something we need to do. And if we have a bunch of godly people in our life, and the overwhelming majority of them is saying, hey, I don't think this is what God wants you to be doing, then we ought to pay attention to that. So, God talks to us through other believers, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, and then through Scripture. Now, how old do I have to be in order to hear God? Uh, I don't think there's an age requirement. Um, basically, God holds us accountable for what we do, and at whatever level we can start understanding Scripture, whatever point we know what the Bible says, we better listen to it. All right, that's my answer to that. Kids, if you want to go to kids' church, go do your thing. Adults, if you heard this first answer and you're like, oh, I don't know about sitting through four more of these, you can go to Kids Church too. <laughs> All right.
Kids Church, again, if you're new, if you go out this door, right down the steps, Cheney and Colin will meet you down there at the bottom, and you'll have a good time there. Right, I know. I know, I just watched like half the, half the congregation leave, but that's cool. I mean, it's, it's no problem. You know, a little boost of confidence. All right, now let's get into a really fun question. This is the question. Where in the Bible does it say we should take a stand against gun control? Oh, man. Right? Thank you. Somebody is wanting to get me in trouble, so I appreciate that. That's, that's cool. All right. So let's talk, because we are answering this, we're going to answer another question later today about how God puts, uh, if God chooses leaders or if God has a chosen country. Next week, we are talking, we're going to answer the question, was Jesus involved in politics? Uh, we're going to answer a question either next week or the week after about Romans 13, 1 and 2. Does that apply to the mask mandate? Um, so we're going to answer this. So before we get there, um, let me tell you, first, I was really excited about answering these. Number two, let's build some framework before we dig in. So there's a couple of scriptures we want to look at. And here is the danger, um, and sometimes I think especially for us, uh, because we live in a country that offers us a whole lot of freedoms. And there is a lot of benefits coming and, and just that we have as Americans uh, this is just that I am wonderfully thankful for. Um, you know, everything from freedom of religion to, you know, getting to have a voice in our elections. And, and so we live in this uh, democratic republic uh, that, yeah, that we are just blessed to be a part of. I mean, I have friends who are Christians. I've been over in house churches that meet underground in China, you know, where, where they have to meet secretly. And, uh, you know, I look at that, and then I look at the, the opportunities and the freedoms we have here, and I'm just very, very grateful for that. But with that, sometimes we confuse rights that we have as Americans, and we label those God-given rights. And that can be awful dangerous. Because we talked last week about priorities. And, and, and again, like, please hear me, I'm, I'm very grateful to live in the country that we do and have the freedoms that we do. But one of the dangers that we need to be aware of with that is that sometimes, and we talked about this in Revelation, sometimes we can almost confuse our rights as Americans or the freedoms that we have as Americans and start to think that those are God-given or that those are expectations or rights that we have as members of the kingdom of God. Because the truth is, Jesus did not come to make any political system or government system perfect. You know, we're going to answer a question about economics later. And Jesus didn't come to endorse any economic system, capitalism, communism, socialism, democracy. Jesus didn't come to do that because Jesus did not come to perfect human systems of government. Jesus came to bring his kingdom. Because any human system of government is flawed because it's human. There's no perfect system of government created by people because we're people. And frankly, we, we mess stuff up. I mean, you don't have to look very far to figure that out. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring a kingdom. This is what he says in John 15, 18, and 19. He's talking to his disciples, and this is after the Last Supper. He is about to be arrested. He said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus is saying, just remember, like part of Jesus' kingdom, being part of Jesus' kingdom, you're separate. You're, you're not a part of any of the world systems. We should be part of a different system. And people often hate things that they don't understand. And the world is going to resent God's kingdom. And it's not going to make sense to him. And Jesus says, just know that like the world is going to resent, maybe even hate you, and that's okay because my kingdom is different. This is the way he says in Daniel 4.3. This is Nebuchadnezzar, who is this, uh, this pagan king who kind of had this on-again, off-again relationship with God. It's really interesting to read through Daniel. And at one point, Nebuchadnezzar got so self-centered that God said, actually, you're going to spend the next seven years living out in a field and eating grass like a wild ox. Uh, just because you, you kind of need a dose of humility. And so that's what happened. For the next seven years, he was eating grass in a field uh, because God was just getting his attention. And after that, he came back. So if you ever have a point where you, you get a little dose of humility, just remember, like, it could be worse. I mean, you could be in a field for seven years eating grass. But this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 4. He's talking about God. He says, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then Matthew 6.33, we talked about this last week, but Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So we need to remember, and we always need to keep clear in our minds, that rights that we have as Americans are, are important, and, and they're, they're legal rights that we have, and we absolutely have a voice in those. But, but our rights as Americans never step in front of our call is citizens of God's kingdom. And I think the most explicit way Jesus ever explained that was Luke 9.23, you know, where Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, um, he needs to lose himself, he needs to take up his cross daily and follow me. And then Jesus says, if, if you lose your life, that's actually how you'll gain it. So when Jesus calls us to be part of his kingdom, you know, our rights kind of go away with that because it sounds like what Jesus is saying is that we have a right to die to ourselves and then do what Jesus calls us to do. This is, uh, this is what Jesus calls us to do. And we talked about this last week. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40. Jesus said to him, and this is a guy asked Jesus, what, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All right, so all that to say, Jesus has his own system. Jesus has his own kingdom, and the priorities there are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love people as ourselves. So with that, then we ask the question, where in the Bible does it say we should take a stand against gun control? Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it also doesn't say that we should take a stand for gun control. As far as I, I can tell in Scripture, there's no explicit guidance one way or another on weaponized. I mean, obviously they didn't have guns in Bible times, but as far as taking up or having weapons, Scripture just doesn't address that. So we look at that and we say, you know, is Scripture clear about that? Well, you know, what Scripture is clear about is that our priority is to be loving God and loving people. And any rights we have as Americans, like, that is the lens that we look at those through. We say, okay, like, I am first a citizen of God's kingdom, and so I love God and love people. Within that, as I'm looking at those priorities, I have rights as an American, as a citizen of this country. And we know that, that God sets those up. I mean, you know, Romans 13, 1 and 2 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. All right, pretty clear biblical mandate. We submit to the governing authorities because God has put those there for a reason. This is the way Peter says it in 1 Peter 3, verse 13 through 17. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor's supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. All right, so um, what do we do with for or against gun control? You know, as far as I can tell, Scripture doesn't say directly one way or another. Behind, we have the lens of love God with everything in me, love people as myself, and then submit to the governing authorities because God has put them there for a reason. And one of the, one of the uh, freedoms that we have in our country is we get a voice on stuff. And so there's you know, nothing wrong. In fact, I think we have a responsibility as Christians to be interacting and, and, to, and to, be, um, to use the voices that we have. Uh, you know, I mean, this week I sent a couple of emails off to uh, state senators um, and, and we work through the lens of being citizens of God's kingdom first and then American citizens. And so, you know, I, I think way back to like Y2K, some of you guys are too young to remember that. But, you know, uh, like as we we're leading up to uh, the year 2000, everyone was just convinced, or I had friends in western Kansas that were convinced that like the world was about to shut down. And so, you know, I had some friends that like were storing up like years worth of canned goods. And then they were like, man, we better get some guns and ammo so that if hungry people come, we can... Uh, you know, protect our food. And, uh, you know, I was talking to him and thinking about that afterwards. And, you know, if, if hungry and poor people are needing food, I'm pretty convinced that Jesus would never use guns to keep people away from food. In fact, you know, I know in Matthew 14, when hungry people came up to Jesus, he was like, well, don't turn them away. Let's take care of them. Um, but with that, like, we do have freedoms in our country, and, and we can certainly use those. But Scripture doesn't one way or another, as far as I can tell, explicitly take a stand. With that, let's move to question number three. I know that was a short answer for a really big topic, so if you want to have a longer conversation, come talk to me about that. But every conversation we have, and as we're getting into these next couple, next couple weeks, we're going to talk uh, quite a bit more. It seems like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but it seemed like last year there was a lot of political stuff going on in our country. And uh, so that's what a lot of the questions are about. And, and politics can be tricky because there was no democracy in Scripture. And so we read Scripture, and we can look at Scripture, and we take these principles out, but trying to figure out how they work in our lives can get messy. And that's okay. We just dig in, we look at principles from Scripture, and we say, okay, like we see this principle, and then sometimes when we have disagreements, as a brother in Christ, I might have a disagreement about you as we're looking at something, and we're looking at through the lens of, I think the best way to love people is to do this. And you might have the idea that the best way to love people is to do this. And that's okay, as long as we remember that we're brothers and sisters in Christ first, and not, you know, butting heads over here first. And I mean, honestly, that's, I don't know, I don't know about the biggest issue in the church, uh, not just our church, but like the, the church in our country maybe last year is that uh, we had a lot of folks who kind of forgot that we were brothers and sisters in Christ first, and rather start to remember that we were political adversaries first. And when we get that off, man, that's, that's tough. 
Because Jesus over and over says that the way that people will know that we're Christians is by how well we love each other. Question number three is this. What do you do when you stumble upon a verse or concept in the Bible that is too big or confusing? What practical steps can we take to study and learn more? All right. There are a couple things you can do. What's, what's the next slide? There we go. Is this a salvation issue? No, it is not. Um, is Scripture clear about this? Yes. Does Scripture affect my life? Yes. So we've all had that time, right? Where we're reading a Scripture and we get to it and we're like, what in the world does this mean? Or uh, what does this have to do with anything? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm right now working through Deuteronomy in my Old Testament devotions. And, uh, you know, I'll get to these verses about these weird laws. And we read it over and it's like, well, like, I get, like, okay, you know, like there's a law I read yesterday that you shouldn't boil a, a young kid goat in its mother's milk. I was like, you know, it's been a while since I've been tempted to do that, but I'm, I'm glad for the clarity. So, Lori, we're going to have to change plans for supper. I'm sorry. Right? I read that over and, and, you know, you read it over and you're like, well, what the heck? So, one of my favorite verses is a verse from Acts 8.31. And uh, it's this... Uh, the, the story is, you can read it, there's this uh, Ethiopian eunuch who's on his way to Jerusalem. He's a worshiper of God, but he doesn't know about Jesus. And, and God takes one of the apostles, Philip, and drops him off right there beside the chariot. And so it's this kind of funny story when you read, because this Ethiopian, he's this rich, powerful man. Uh, he's riding in a chariot, you know, pulled by a, a horse, and, and they're moving at a pretty good clip. And God drops Philip beside the chariot. So Philip just starts running beside the chariot. So he's kind of running beside the chariot, and looks over and, and this Ethiopian eunuch is reading and he just happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah. And so Philip looks at him and God put him here for a reason. So Philip's like, hey, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, well, no. Like, how can I? Acts 8, 31. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so I always wonder on that. Like, Philip's kind of running beside the chariot and I wonder if Philip like starts trying to explain it and the Ethiopian's like, I can't understand it while you're running. Just get up in here. And so they sit down and they start talking, and Philip ends up leading this Ethiopian to Christ. Um, but uh, I love this because this Ethiopian eunuch was this incredibly powerful, wealthy man. Uh, Philip was a subsistence-level guy. We, we don't know much about him, but you know, he didn't have a whole lot of money. And, and yet, this Ethiopian eunuch had the humility to say, hey, can you help me out? Uh, how many of us have trouble reading instruction books? Yeah, okay, I told a story a couple weeks ago about how, like, I just convinced that I didn't, I, I just don't need those, right? Man, it takes humility in big stuff and little stuff to say, hey, how can I understand this unless somebody helps me out? Best thing we can do when we get to things that are, are tough, especially biblical questions, is let's just have the humility to ask for help. Because some scripture is really clear, like Jesus, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. You, like all of us can understand that pretty well. And then we get to the, some of the Old Testament laws, we get to Revelation. It's like, man, this stuff is a little bit more complicated. What do I do? So these are some just practical tips. Ask help. Colin and Jake are great resources. I don't, um, I put Colin first because I didn't want to like sound like I'm like advertising myself, right? But Colin and Jake, both Colin and I have biblical educations, Bible colleges, um, and we, we, I mean, that's what we do for a job, or at least part of what we do is just dig into Scripture. I mean, we're pretty good resources. Use Google, but use Google very carefully. 
Um, and, and here's the danger. Google for the Bible is like Wikipedia for anything else, all right? And if, if you don't use Wikipedia, that's a good call. Do not use Wikipedia, okay? But Google, when you Google stuff about the Bible, the challenge is that you don't know where that source is coming from. And there's a lot of screwy stuff out there. And so a lot of times, you know, you can Google a question about Scripture and you'll get answers, but if you don't know the sources or you don't know who's providing that information, man, you can get off on some rabbit trails or just some stuff that's way, way out there. So use Google, but use it very carefully and selectively. Um, the other things that you can do is use tools, use good tools. So we have a church library here. And uh, some of the things that, that we use are... Uh, this is a Bible background commentary, and there's one for the Old Testament, one for the New Testament. I like this one. Um, it's called the IVP Bible Background Commentary because it's short. It's not going to give you like 25 pages over each verse. It's going to give you like a couple sentences or a paragraph. But this thing will give you a lot of the background that you need. Like if you're reading Old Testament laws and you're wondering like, hey, like why are we even talking about a kid goat boiling in his mother's milk? This will give you some of the background information to that. Um, another good resource is like Smith's Bible Dictionary. Actually, Lynn and I were talking about this one. Just because this provides, again, just pretty basic information about different biblical words and terms. Um, another thing that we use is commentaries. And uh, I like these, and I'm, I'm kind of like a, I'm just a paper person. So I, I like having books in my hands. I, I don't like doing stuff online or, or with a reader as much. Uh, but what this does, and especially this one, the NIV Application Commentary, uh, what it does is it explains the background of a passage, helps us understand that this one actually talks through some of the applications, some of the ways that we can apply the passage. We always want to read Scripture on our own. We, we never want to just trust that what somebody's feeding us is right. But there's a lot of Scripture that's helpful if we have some tools. Uh, the other one that I use sometimes that I'd encourage you to use, and this is a good one uh, to use Google for, is a concordance. And if you've never used a concordance, what a concordance is, is a concordance keeps, tracks of, keeps track of every word in Scripture. And so it will let you know um, where this word is used different places in Scripture. And that's, that's a big deal because Scripture is written in words. Words are important. And so uh, I use this, or a lot of times I use, a, there's a website called BibleGateway.com. And uh, I really like that one because uh, they'll do the work for me. And I don't mind reading all these books, but there's something about having to look up words in a concordance when I can just type it in. So I use that. So if you don't use BibleGateway.com, that's a good concordance. But like if, if you ever wonder, like immediately, like we're going to, um, our next series leading up to Easter is going to be through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark uses the word immediately a lot. And so you can look up immediately there and find out it's used 16 different times in the book of Mark. And each one kind of introduces this new theme or new idea about Jesus. And so these are some of the books that I use. If you ever want to borrow these, uh, we have these in either our church library or my library. And just come, come grab some. You know, if, if you're digging in a passage or a specific book, I'd love to give you some resources to dig in on that. But use, use tools, use good tools. Um, ask for help. And, uh, and the other thing is don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like God's big enough, He can handle any question. You know, some, some of the Psalms... Are, uh, get pretty, uh, pretty emotive, pretty knee-jerk reaction about stuff. We're reading over stuff. Some of the Old Testament laws, uh, some of the, even the New Testament letters as we're reading through and, and just saying, okay, so wh what is this talking about like in the seven letters to Revelation? Like what is, what is this talking about? And man, let's dig into those. That's really, really good to, to do. So if you find a passage that you're like, man, this is above my pay grade, 
uh, then come talk to somebody, use some tools, and keep digging. Uh, because one of the cool things is, like, the more you study Scripture, the more you kind of see the tie-ins to other parts of Scripture, it is the, the more kind of beautiful the book gets. And that's a really, really cool thing. All right, question number four is this. Has God ever appointed a political leader? Is there merit in the line of viewing any country or leader as being God's chosen one? All right, so this is a question where, is this a salvation issue? No. I mean, we know salvation issues. This is not one of them. Is Scripture clear about this? Yes. Does it affect my life? Uh, in a way, it does, just because every political leader um, affects my life somehow. I mean, you know, even though there's several levels between us and what's going on in D.C., like leaders affect the way I live my life some. So with that, this question is a little bit challenging because has God ever appointed a political leader? Yes, he has. Uh, every political leader. I mean, again, we know Romans 13, 1 and 2 says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, another verse, Daniel 2, 20 and 21. So this is, again, that King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful king in the world at the time. And uh, this, he's talking to Daniel, he had a dream, he needed someone to interpret. Uh, God had this man, Daniel, who was there. Daniel steps up, this is the same Daniel that was in, in the lion's den. And Daniel said to him, Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel 2, 20 and 21. So has God ever appointed a political leader? Yes, he has, because God has control over stuff. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says that, you know, God controls those institutions. Leaders are appointed by God. So God has appointed political leaders, but we need to be careful and not assume then that just because God instituted a leader means that that leader is a godly person. Um, and, and, like, no matter what country it is, I mean, if you look at empires, you look at communist dictatorships, uh, you look at democratic republics, you look at democracies, you look at monarchies, any of those, like some of those leaders of the country um, have been truly terribly evil people. Some of them have been people that are, uh, you know, like there's good, there's bad. Uh, and then some leaders, uh, from kings to emperors to presidents, uh, have been folks that for the most part are godly. I mean, we know that there's no perfect leader just because Romans 3.23 tells us that. But... God has appointed all those people. But all the way back to like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, I mean, sometimes God appoints people who don't recognize God as God, uh, but God's doing that for a reason, whether it's to catch people, catch attention, bring attention back to the need for Him, um, whether it's to make a point, whether it's uh, to do something. Um, God appoints political leaders. And so that is true, um, but it's, it's dangerous to assume that, hey, this person is like God's chosen person to lead our country, and this person is not. Um, because God is not weak enough that he's going to be overrun by some government or people. Like, God's God. Like, no matter who our president is, no matter who the leader of China is, no matter who the king of England is, God is still God. And that king 
Um, you know, that king will change, that leader of a party will change, that president will change, but God doesn't change. God is always still God. So God appoints political leaders, but God's permanent, and they're not. And again, God is not trying to make political systems look like heaven. God's trying to make his kingdom on earth grow, and he does that through his followers. So with that then, does God have a chosen country? Uh, or is there merit in the line of viewing any country or leader as being God's chosen one? Um, the answer is, for a time there was. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen nation. Uh, I don't know a better way uh, or a better verse that says that than Deuteronomy 14.2. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, so Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people. He brought them out of Egypt to the promised land. God over and over and over identified and said, you are my people. Like, you are my people. God protected this people. And God said, you are my people. And out of you, I'm going to bring someone who's going to change the history and the, or who's going to change the future for everybody. And so God in the Old Testament had Israel as his chosen people. Then when Jesus came, that changed. And I think the best verse to illustrate that is 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter now, he's writing to Christians. And he says this. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, so when Jesus came, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus started the church. And at that point, Israel was not God's chosen people. people. Rather, the church and Christians and followers of Jesus are God's chosen people. Uh, if you want to read a, a more in-depth explanation of that, Paul writes, that's mostly what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about. It's pretty complicated, um, you know, it just following through and making sense out of it. But Romans 9, 10, 11 talks about that. Where God's chosen people is now the people of God, Christians around the world. And so anytime, like, so when we talk about, like, hey, is there, is there a country or a people that is God's chosen people? Yes, there is. It's Christians, and Christians are in every nation in the world. And together, again, we're part of God's kingdom before we're part of any nation that, that we have residency in for now. The last question is this. Again, somebody, somebody's trying to get me in trouble. Is it a sin to believe conspiracy theories? How do I know who's telling the truth? All right, so this is, I think, what Scripture says about that. I was looking, conspiracy theories, really nowhere in Scripture. And anytime we talk about conspiracy theories, that's always kind of a challenging conversation because something that might be a conspiracy theory to one person might be like viewed by someone else as like abject truth. They're like, no, this is like, this isn't conspiracy theory, this is like really happening. And so that, that makes this a little bit challenging. Is this a salvation issue? No, it's not. Is scripture clear about this? Yes. Does it affect the way I live my life? Yes. All right, so this is what Jesus says. When he's getting ready to send his followers out, he says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So Jesus is saying, hey, be smart. So here's the thing. Like, answer to this is, is, is it a sin to believe in conspiracy theories? No, I don't think so. Um, but it's probably not real smart. Um, Jesus, like, tells his followers, basically, like, in that whole context, he's talking like, hey, like, there's going to be people picking at you, 
Like, don't fall for silly stuff. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All right, so again, Paul says, hey, like, don't, don't waste your time on, like, silly, irreverent stuff. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying that everything that we hear is silly and irreverent, all right? But Jesus does say, seek my kingdom first. Let's keep our, our focus and our priorities on the kingdom of God. And, and everything beyond that is, is extra stuff. Some of it's good stuff, some of it's not good stuff. But let's keep our priorities straight, focused on Jesus, on the kingdom of God. Um, so then, how do I know who's telling the truth? Man, okay, so uh, that's the challenge, right? Because like, no matter what, what you look at, um, the first thing I would say is definitely believe everything you see on social media. Easiest way. Um, man, like, how do I know what's the truth? You know, like everybody is coming from an angle, it seems. I mean, you know, no matter what you read, no matter who you listen to, it's really hard to find somebody who just says, hey, this is what happened, right? And it's really hard to approach that. So, I mean, you know, just, I don't want to say common sense stuff, but we look at source material, right? I mean, we try and look at, at what actually was said, what actually happened, and, and we try hard not to just take someone's word that like, hey, this is my opinion on this, but let's find out what happened originally and then go from there. Um, one, of the things, one of the things that I do, just as kind of a practice, is uh, social media is just terribly divisive. Uh, but for me, if I see anything on social media, uh, but there's no sources there, I just kind of discard it. Um, because if there's not a source there, if you can't look at like the primary source or, or what actually was said or happened, um, then, then I, I kind of discard that. I, I don't immediately discard it as false, but I just don't give it as much weight. Um, because here's, here's the truth. Like, I am responsible to God for what I do. And, and you know, th- there's a level, and, and, you know, God says in, in James chapter 3 that teachers are held to a higher standard. That's one of the reasons that, like, I always get a little nervous before I preach. Um, just because anytime I communicate God's word or speak about what God's saying, um, I'm held to a little bit higher standard, and I better make sure that I get that right. So I take that pretty seriously, but all of us are responsible for our actions. And, you know, if we end up wasting a bunch of time or chasing, you know, rabbit trails or, you know, obsessing over this one thing that that might be an important deal, but is not seeking first the kingdom of God, then we're going to have to answer our creator for that. I mean, Romans 2, 6 through 8, Paul's talking, he says, look, God's going to render to each one according to his work. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. You don't want wrath and fury. And Paul's just saying there, hey, like what we're going to be responsible for our actions, for what we do. And, and if we're going to be responsible for that, then we better, better be pretty sober-minded about what drives our actions. Because I don't think it's going to work as an adult who has concrete critical thinking skills. If I'm in front of God and I'm like, well, you know, I read, a, I read a meme on social media and I did this. And God's like, well, you know, you're responsible for what you're doing. So, man, let's, let's, 
Let's just be careful because we're responsible for what we do. One other thing I want to say kind of in that vein is uh, I read, uh, I was reading this week, and um, man, a lot of us, uh, probably all of us, have opinions politically. And it seems like, again, social media is a place where a lot of those come out at. And I was reading this week uh, a pastor that I really respect, and he said something that I thought about. But he said, listen, whoever you mock is not going to come to church. So he was talking, and he was just like, just remember that like, whoever it is that we mock, you know, whether it's social media, whether we make fun of, wh- whatever we mock, those are the people who are not going to be comfortable coming to church. And I thought, man, that's, that's, really, that's just really wise. Because there's a difference between saying, hey, you and I have different views, and we're going to talk about it, and between saying, hey, we're just going to make fun or call this you know, dumb or stupid or just, just throw this out as, gosh, I can't believe anybody would ever do this and mock this belief. And if we're serious about reaching the lost for Jesus, and we know that there's a number of the lost who might not share our political views, then let's just be really careful because whoever it is that we mock are people that are not going to want to be a part of our church body. And I read that and... And that's one of the reasons I, I just, uh, you know, on social media, I'll put up pictures of LJ sometimes. You know, I put up my church post every week, but I just don't, I'm just not very active on social media uh, just because I know I can get kind of sucked into that rabbit hole if I'm not careful. Uh, but let's just be really careful because, because, like, whether or not I'm right politically is far, far less important than who I reach for Jesus. Because I'm supposed to seek first his kingdom. And all these other things are going to be added in as well. So let me pray for us. After this, uh, Corey's going to lead us through communion. And, uh, you know, usually we'll, we'll have an invitation at the end of our service. And, you know, again, during the You Asked For It series, you know, we, we, don't, we don't unpack one scripture. We'll get back to doing that the week after next. Uh, but if you're here today and you heard uh, one of these questions and you're thinking, you know, I'd like to dig in a little bit more to that. Um, or maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? Like, I am not seeking first the kingdom of God. Like, I get that's the first thing Jesus calls me to do, and that's what I need to do, but I'm not doing that. Man, don't leave today without having a conversation. If you just stay in your seat or if you make your way over by the drum set, we have some folks that would love to follow up with you, love to pray with you. And so uh, let me pray for us. We'll do communion, and then we're going to have one more song as we close out our service. Jesus, it's good to be here. And Jesus, thank you for, uh, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us just this resource that we get to dig in and say, hey, what are... What are the guiding biblical principles that you have for us? Um, Jesus, we, uh, yeah, we just pray that as a church, we would reflect you and reflect your heart. Pray that we would be a church that truly does seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus, again, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for sacrificing for us. And uh, Jesus, just pray that, that we would be that, that, that royal priesthood, that holy people uh, that just represents you well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.